Good morning, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August 12, 2018. The share ID numbers for Friday, August 10th, are the following. For the 7 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, share ID 11,774. That's 11774. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Big Book Study, 11,775. That's 11775. This morning, A Vision for You presents Thinking Relapse Unthinkable While Resting on Laurels. The purpose of steps one through nine is a personal transformation leading to a spiritual awakening. With step 10, the big book tells us sanity has returned. Quote, we will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. End quote. The big book also gives us a very, very clear warning. If we let up on the program, spiritual program of action, and if we rest on our laurels, we are headed for trouble. We will relapse. Our mental obsession will return. We will become insane again. How do we keep in fit spiritual condition? How do we not rest on our laurels? We must adopt a way of life that requires continuous commitment and effort. Remember, the big book utilizes the word trudge. (laughs) The difficulties and the rewards of the steps and this way of life come from applying it to our lives day after day, month after month, year after year, as an essential part of the maintenance and growth of our spiritual condition. Joining us today is Du L., a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Du is devoted to our design for living and to carrying this message of recovery, and it's with great pleasure that I welcome Du L. to the line this morning. Welcome. Good morning, everyone, and thank you, Leah, for this blessed opportunity to share my experience, strength, and hope on avoiding the pitfalls of relapse. And um, thank you for that summary, because that's uh, that's exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so my passion is to share what I feel God has placed in my heart, often by the uh, way of personal struggles. So I am responsible um, for merely conveying my experiences. Uh, however crude my skills of communication may be, the outcome is to God, um, up to God. And um, I realize that the big book has been giving me, given us such uh, much direction and advice in um you know, I, I may seem to lecture, if so if that is the case, um, I'm sorry for we as compulsive old readers don't always care for people who lecture us. But what I have to relate is based upon experience and some of it painful. Um, as compulsive old readers, we had to learn these things the hard way. And that is why I'm anxious that you understand and that you, like myself, avoid the unnecessary difficulties or pitfalls. So thinking relapse unthinkable while resting on laurels, what does the big book say on this subject? Is relapse mentioned? And if so, for what purpose? 
The big book does mention relapse several times on pages 26, 31, 35, 120, 125, 169, and 528, just to mention a few places. However, the big book mentions relapse not as a teaching that is okay to remain in this condition, but it mentions relapse as a state of reoccurrence that needs to be addressed through careful examination of where it resides in the hidden springs of our mind. So the first thing we need to know is what is relapse? According to the big book's dictionary, relapse is a return to drinking, or in our case, a return to eating or our alcoholic key food ingredients or binge foods. A reoccurrence of a disease after a period of improvement or a slip or fall back into a former worse state. Uh, So for those who think that slip doesn't count, let's define slip, right? According to Cambridge Dictionary, a slip, a slip is a slide without intending to, uh, to move out of correct position, a mistake that someone makes when not being careful. So let's see what the big book says on this. On page 35 through 37, the big book tells us that whether we are like Jim, uh, and if you remember Jim's story, he was one that had this vague notion of picking up um, and he didn't go out deliberately to uh, drink, but he did it anyways. Um, He fell into that belief that he could do it again. And so whether we go out deliberately to drink or in our case to eat, and we succumb to the disease, if so, as a compulsive overeater, and we slip a binge food into our mouths, whether intentionally or without consciously thinking about it, it does count as a break of abstinence. You're responsible for everything that enters your body that may cause the allergy of the body to manifest. And that's what I've learned through my own personal experience, that I am responsible. Um, The big book, also says on page 26, gives one example of the many examples of people falling victim back into relapse. Uh, This is not just about the physical allergy, but about the obsession of the mind, right? As many of you may already know, the allergy of the body is caused by introducing the substances that cause you to want more and more. But the obsession of the mind, according to page 23, is the fallacious reasoning for the faulty thinking that has us believing in the lies, the excuses, and the justifications for getting back into the food. Relapse does not begin with the first bite. It begins with the mental obsession which precedes the first bite. Relapse begins way long before picking up. So that's one of the things that I had to understand uh, very profoundly, that relapse starts way before I pick up that binge food. And on page 26, we find Roland Hazard's uh, uh, experience uh, on this. And he thought uh, that he had acquired such a profound knowledge of his inner workings of his mind and his hidden springs that relapse was unthinkable. Nevertheless, he was drunk in a short time, more baffling still, He could not give himself no satisfactory explanation for his fall. So what does that mean for us? As I prepare for this talk, I could not help thinking of the many people I hear on the line about how quickly they want to work through the steps to get recovered. 
with the hope of what the big book promises on page 84 through 85, you know, which I'm going to read. It says, as we cease fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol for us food, for by this time, sanity will return. We will seldom be interested in liquor. If tempted, we recoil from it from a hot flame. We react sanely and normally, and we will find that this has happened automatically. We will see that our new attitude towards liquor has been given to us without any thought or effort on our part. It just comes. That is the miracle of it. We are not fighting it, neither we are avoiding temptation. We feel as though we have been placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. We have not even sworn it off. Instead, and here's the promise, instead the problem has been removed. It does not exist for us. We are neither cocky nor afraid. That is the experience. That is how we react as long as we keep in spirit, in fit spiritual condition. And so, <clears throat> yet, some like myself and like Roland Hazard, relapse is unthinkable once we recovered, yet not long are back in relapse. So why is that? So, um, you know, the big book also says that on page 35, uh, and lets us know that if we have a relapse and it does occur, that we should work with a recovered person to review carefully what has happened and where we have failed to enlarge our spiritual life. So part of this um, talk is about looking at the pitfalls and looking at where we have failed to enlarge our spiritual life. On page 85, it plainly tells us that to maintain our spiritual growth is contingent or dependent on not resting on our laurels or in other words, not resting on our past achievements. Uh, the first 100 men and women who have recovered did not skip a beat when they warned us that it's easy to let up on the spiritual program of action. It's easy. We forget. We have a built-in forgetter and it's easy to let go. Um, so what is my experience, strength, and hope on this subject? So I'm going to share three relapses that I had um, in the course of, I would say, uh, it's been almost eight years. Um, and so um, in that course of time, uh, what happened, you know, uh, what happened that I did not get this for a long time? And, and where am I today? Well, I came into program at the end of August uh, 2009. And from August 2009 um, to 2012, for three years, I heard the steps and I could never get abstinent. I was, uh, I was desperate to get this, but it seemed I was missing something. Um, so I finally asked to recover Big Book Thumper. Uh, what am I not doing to get this? What am I not doing to get, because I, 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 I go to meetings, I read the big book, I, I have a sponsor, I, I think I put down all my binge foods. Um, so what is it that for three years, I am just in a meeting, listening to big book, um, trying to do the steps, doing everything that I could possibly do and still not get this. So he simply answered to me, you reap what you sow. 
And of course, you know, being in my active disease, um, I was angry and responded to him. Well, I'm not a farmer, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you know, can you explain that to me? Um, what are you talking about? You know, you reap what you sow. And, and so he calmly explained to me that to sow is to dig a hole and to put a seed in the ground and to cover it and to nurture it and to water it and to let it grow. And once it's grown, you get the results, which is reaping the fruit of, of your seed. Again, I get angry and I tell him, I don't understand what you're talking about. You know, please explain this to me. Break it down to me where I can understand it. And he, he, he asked me, what is it that you're sowing with your loved ones? Is it unkindness, impatience, hatred? And what are you reaping? Is it not calamity, chaos, and confusion? So, I mean, that really struck me. I, I asked him, what, what do I need to do to get the results of getting recovered? Because that, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to get recovered. I wanted to get on the other side. I wanted to know how to live this way of life. And he said to me, practice the opposite. Put it into action. The practice of love, patience, and kindness and you will reap serenity, harmony, and peace. And then pray to your higher power and to God to help you to find the right person that will help you to get the program of recovery. Well, that same year in 2012, I did finally get recovered. And well, all went well for a while, you know. Um, so, you know, at first you come into program, you see the disease coming through the front door. It's attacking you head on. However, when you get recovered, the disease seems to sneak through the back door. <laughs> and if you don't keep vig vigilant, it will strike you down. That's not a if, that's a when. And that's what I've learned. It's not a if, if I'm not vigilant, it's not a if, it's a when, the disease will get you. And my experience has shown that. And that's exactly what happened to me. One year and 10 months into recovery, all was great until pride started to sneak back into my life. Well, if you only knew, you know, the big book teacher I have for a sponsor um, and how I'm sponsoring 20 people and look, I'm doing great service and I'm involved in the committee to help the greater good and I'm doing my 10, 11 and 12. Relapse is unthinkable. However, what I failed to tell you is that as I was doing my 10, 11, and 12, my sponsor, three weeks before picking up a binge food substance, had already warned me that I was in relapse mode. Um, she could see something that I couldn't see. And the pride had gotten so big that I was easing God out with my ego. I failed to heed the warning. And the day did come on April 20th when I experienced, when I became so exhausted from self-reliance and I picked up a wafer in my church that I wasn't supposed to have. And I deliberately picked it up because my mind was so fogged with unchecked thoughts, you know. Well, another walk back to recovery. Two days later, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm back at step one. And it didn't take long to get back to recovery. But when I 
repeat the same behaviors, I will always get what I've always got if I always do what I've always done. So even though I got back in recovery, I did not go over um, thoroughly what had caused that relapse. And I thought I got it because, you know, 10, 11, and 12. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got it. I'm hearing what you're saying. I, I, I got this. I got this. And that's the key. I got this. That should have been clue number one. <laughs> I never get this. I am in a process of an education without graduation. The day I think I got this is when I need to worry because I will never get this. I need to be continuous on my walk. So what happened after that? You know, what happened after I had that relapse and, you know, thinking I'm getting this, um, I'm back doing the work, thinking I'm being vigilant in my recovery. Now, my food is, is so clean, you know, at this point in time um, that I don't need to read labels anymore since I eat fresh fruits fresh vegetables, fresh proteins. And, you know, I don't, I don't usually um, use boxed or canned foods anymore. Um, so that eliminates a lot of the labels for me. My sponsor, again, warns me to read the labels when it comes to medicine and to share this with uh, sponsees as part of passing it forward, as part of my being reminded of where I've been. Um, so I need to be sponsoring and I need to be conveying this message to others, um, you know, was I doing that, uh, you know, and, and, and I've, you know, uh, because of my recovery, I've been healthier than I've ever been. Um, and so why read labels and why read labels for medicines that I don't need? <laughs> well, the day to come where God would allow me to be tested again. And that day did come. And in the beginning of November uh, 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 2016, a year and seven months after being recovered, um, where I picked up a, a binge food medicine that had high fructose and alcohol in it. Not only did I break my abstinence in OA, but this time I also broke my sobriety from alcohol, which I had 12 years back-to-back -back sobriety. Well, eight days later... Um, you know, on the 8th of November, I'm back on step one. <laughs> this time, this time I'm swearing to my sponsor, things would be different. I thought I had uh, learned my lesson. I thought this time relapse was unthinkable. Well, I continue to do well for a while by reading um, all the labels and making sure to follow my food plan and not pick up my binge foods. And letting my sponsor know, you know, um, what happened. And, you know, and all seemed to go well again for a short time. And this time, this time it only took two to three months to be back in a declining, rapid progression. My left leg um, started to decline rapidly. And I was at home for a few months, uh, notably to, to um, not being able to, to be mobile. So I kept um, 
I, I thought I kept my food plan, you know, uh, I had a, about an 1800 calorie food plan, which I don't count calories, but it's just to give you a roundabout gauge what that looked like for me. And in uh, two to three months um, of following that food plan and not being mobile, I gained about 30 to 35 pounds. And well, I thought I was doing my 10, 11, and 12. I failed to inform my sponsor that I had gained weight. Um, to my surprise, uh, I wasn't even aware of the weight gain until I went to the doctors and he weighed me and told me about this. Well, my sponsor questioned this because she asked me if I had noticed my clothes getting tighter. You know, my reasoning was that I was swollen from all the injections that I had uh, that had hormones in them. Of course, when we reviewed it, from the disease angle, I realized that I had broken my abstinence due to not changing my food plan. And, you know, always primary purpose is that we are to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors, which includes stop eating compulsively and move toward and maintain a healthy body weight. So, you know, if you think that I did not break a, my abstinence or that I'm being too hard on myself or that it was a slip, that uh, I should be kinder to myself, you know, a break is a break is a break. Um, the big book tells us in the doctor's opinion, entire abstinence, entire. It, it means if even if I take one time a binge food and I put it in my mouth, I break my abstinence. Uh, did I do it uh, unintentionally? Does that count? Yes, it counts. If it goes in my body, it counts. You know, um, so, you know, well, here we are, April 22nd. I was beside myself, back at step one again, <laughs> being in relapse for a few months and not knowing it. That was That was so crude for my mind to even think that I thought I had figured it out that I was going to be on an 1800 calorie count, that I was going to be eating my food safely, didn't introduce any binge foods. And yet, and yet I broke my absence because I did not maintain a healthy body weight. Because the thing is, binge foods never, ever, ever change. They're never, ever, ever introduced into your food plan. However, food plans will always change depending on your circumstances, depending on your uh, uh, health, and depending on whether, you know, your nutritionist or your doctor has a legitimate reason to change your food plan. So food plans do change. Um, what never changes is your binge foods being introduced into your food plan. And so for me, that was the break of abstinence because uh, I did not change my food plan when I had a legitimate reason to change the food plan. I was not being active. Uh, I was home, <clears throat> home. Uh, I was not mobile. Um, I didn't need to eat that much food. And yet, uh, for some reason, uh, I did not think about that. And the other thing is, I didn't even check with my sponsor for a couple of months to let her know that I was still on that food plan and that I needed to change that food plan. So, you know, here, here it was, um, you know, in desperation of all drowning men, <clears throat> I opened myself desperately to my sponsor 
and asked her, um, you know, is there any hope for someone like me? And she, <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and she reassured me that I was not alone, that she herself had come into program and took her a few years to get it. And what a difference, uh, what was the difference, I asked her. Um, and she said, simple do. Once you hear it and accept it, then you put it into practice. Don't rest on your laurels. Don't take it for granted. And that was it. That's what had been, that's what I had been doing, taking everything for granted. Because once recovered, I thought, I got this. And experience has shown me that this is contingent on working my program. With the same diligence, I came in like drowning, like a drowning man. This disease is cunning, baffling, and powerful. It will lay all sorts of traps because it wants to kill you, steal you, and destroy you. It wants to steal your serenity and hope and peace of mind. It wants to destroy your relationships with God, others, and self. And it wants to kill you spiritually and physically dead. You know, so what's the solution to, to relapse? Um, every day is a day when we must carry the vision of God's will into our lives and into our activities. How can I best serve thee? That will not mine be done. What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent, dependent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. So what does that look like for me today? You know, well, this this year has been a year and three months into my recovery. So I have a year and three months. Thank you by the grace of God. And I was able to pass the ultimate test. Um, I, I just recently had a knee surgery two months ago and was able with the help of God and my sponsor and the program to stay abstinent from binge foods the medicines and the behaviors that would have led me back to relapse. And I diligently follow all the instructions on conveying to the doctors, the nurses, the dietitians, um, my restrictions uh, concerning my binge foods and my food plan. Um, <clears throat> and that included medicine. That included making sure that there was no um, narcotics in, in my medicine, that there was no sugar in my, my medicines, that there was nothing that could affect me physically um, as I was going through this. And, um, you know, and today I'm returning to a healthy body weight and not taking things for granted and resting on my laurels. And the way, you know, uh, this experience has, has taught me is that, you know, when I was in that hospital, um, and I, you know, I had, I had talked it over a couple of months before with my sponsor and she says, you know, you need to build up your pain resistance. And, and I said, well, how do I do that? And she says, well, as soon as you feel pain, um, don't pop a pill, <laughs> you know, uh, stay with it, stay with it as long as you can before you have to take a medicine. You know, and I, I started to practice that with her for a couple of months um, so that I could build up my pain resistance. And thank God for that, because uh, when I had the surgery, 
I went into <clears throat> I went into the hospital. I think it was at eight o'clock in the morning, and then I came out at twelve from the surgery. And from twelve to about six o'clock, I tell you, I don't wish this upon anybody, but but this is what I had to do for my recovery, which was deal with the pain, because since I was not having narcotics, um, I had to endure the pain uh, of of that surgery uh, for six hours. And I was, I was in agony. Um, I was screaming, I was crying. I was, I was all sorts of things. But one thing I was not going to do was take the narcotics no matter what. And I told my doctor explicitly, it doesn't matter if I yell for it. It doesn't matter if I ask for it. Do not give it to me. Do not give it to me. I gave him very explicit directions on that. Um, cause I knew, I knew that I was, I, I'm very low tolerance pain level and I was not going to be able to, uh, do that. And, um, so anyways, I come out of surgery and sure enough, I am in agonizing pain. And so what he did, I didn't know this until recently, um, that what he did was he kept administering my, uh, my medication that was without narcotics. And that medication had to build up in my system for six to seven hours before I felt any relief. And and so after six or seven hours, I, I'm finally at a point where I, I was able to be at relief. And and then what happened is that after that, they just maintained uh, a medicine regimen for me um, that kept me, you know, I still felt pain, um, a lot of pain, but um, it wasn't as unbearable as, as when I came out of that surgery. So I, I thank God because in the past I would have been like, give me drugs, give me drugs, give me a lot of drugs, numb me out. I, I don't want to feel what I feel today. And so that was one of the tests that I had to pass. The other thing, uh, that my sponsor worked with me was on letting the doctors and nurses know consistently that I was on a food plan and that I could not have sugar or flour or all the other binge food ingredients that I normally have to abstain from. And she says that the doctors tend to rotate and the nurses tend to rotate <clears throat> and all of the assistants need to rotate. And the doctors have not only one patient, they have 30 patients or more patients and, you know, they can count. So they're not always going to remember everything that I tell them. So I had to be like a broken record, constantly repeating myself to the nurses, to the doctors, and, and to the staff about my allergies and, and my allergic reactions to medication. And so um, I, I was grateful that I was able to pass that test, you know, because that's just like reading labels. I need to be consistent. I need to be able to do this on a consistent basis and be diligent about my recovery. Um, and so I was able to pass that test, too. And then uh, I stayed in the hospital for three days and then they moved me to rehabilitation center. And I got there and. Uh, they had a problem with uh, accommodating my food plan. And so I had to talk to the administrator in the hospital and let them know the seriousness of of why I needed that food plan and why I needed to, um, 
you know, stay with fresh vegetables and protein and, and nothing with sugar or sweeteners or anything like that and, um, and, and high fat foods. And so, um, so I went there and, you know, uh, they accommodated me. And then the day came where it was, I think, either Friday evening or, or um, Saturday. And I noticed there was a change in the food, um, you know. And, and so they couldn't accommodate me because uh, I did not know that I was in a Jewish rehab facility where, <laughs> where they observed the Sabbath and they served cold meals Friday, Friday evening all the way to Saturday. And then Sunday they would resume with the war meals. And then part of their custom was that they had to have this rabbi come in and bless the food and, and do all these preparations in the kitchen for the food. Um, so, you know, um, once I learned, uh, that I was in a facility like that and, and that I had to adjust, you know, my food, um, I had, talked to the administrator again, the dietitian, and I said, well, I, I need fresh vegetables. Even if they're cold, I need fresh vegetables. Um, I can't have these vegetables with mayonnaise in it because it has the sugar in it. And uh, I can't have, you know, certain things that they were giving me. Um, I, I think it was breaded fish. And I said, I can't have that. So I said, can I have, uh, you know, um, maybe a, a fish that has, no, no bread on it. And, and so, you know, they made every possible concerted effort to accommodate me. And for the first week, I think it was the first week I had to fast. I think the first week or two of the weekends, I fasted because I couldn't get food um, at that time. Um, and so uh, that was okay. You know, I mean, I didn't die. I didn't break my abstinence. Um, you know, I... I, you know, I, I mean, I felt uncomfortable that I didn't eat those days, but, but I was okay, you know, and, and by the grace of God, he got me through that too. And so, you know, I was able to keep my food plan. I was able to eat the foods, take the medications that uh, were properly administered to me. And, and I did that because one, I was honest with my sponsor. I did not withhold any information. I followed the directions that she had given me um, to uh, stay and maintain my abstinence during that critical um, time. And I was working on things way before the event occur, you know, as far as managing the pain. Um, so all of that was work that I probably would have taken for granted in the past. And that was, that was the key uh, to my break of abstinence, it may be different for different people of why they break their abstinence. But for me, it was, it was definitely resting on my laurels, resting on that past achievements and thinking that I got this and, and, and taking things for granted. And the big book tells me, you know, that if I am to live this way of life, you know, that I need to work these steps, that I need to be connecting with my higher power. And, and one other thing is um, that I want to mention before I close is that if you're not doing a 10, 11, and 12 
and you're just doing a 10 and you're skipping 11 and 12, or you're doing an 11 but skipping 10 and 12, if you're doing a 12 but skipping 10 and 11, that's not living in recovery. You know, um, you got to do 10, 11, and 12 because that's doing all the steps. That's doing step 1 through 12 on a daily basis. Um, for those who think that is uh, 4 through 9, no, it's a, uh, it's a 1 through 12. 1 through 12. It's called 12 steps for a reason, you know, because it's 12 steps involved in staying and maintaining your recovery. And um, even though the 4 through 9 are action steps, but but the rest of them all are included in it because we need to come to conclusions of the mind um, or the disease resides in the mind. So we need to fight back against that. And the only way we could do that is being connected to a higher power, being connected to these steps, being diligent about our recovery and doing the work that it takes with the connection of that higher power. Because I, 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 I know I didn't mention this too much, but there's, there was a lot of prayer and meditation involved in my recovery. And, and every step that I took, I had to be connected with my higher power because uh, the higher power or God, in my case, is what enables me to be able to do these things. Because on my own, on my own self-reliance, well, you've seen the mess I've done through the years. <laughs> my experience does show that. <laughs> Um, I make a mess of life. I make a mess of things. Um, but when I'm connected with my higher power, look at the amazing results. Now, is my story over? No. By, by the least, it's, it's not over yet. You know, um, I, I have to keep this for the rest of my life, you know. Um, and one day at a time, I could do this if I don't take things for granted, stay on the course, don't rest on my laurels. Don't rest on my uh, past achievements and continue to do and follow directions. And, and that's it. That's what I have to share. Thank you. Thank you, Du, for sharing your experience, strength, and hope and this critical message with all of us today. We appreciate your service. The share ID for this presentation is 11,780. That's 11780 for this morning's presentation. Dues contact information will be given at the conclusion of this recording, so you'll need to stay tuned for that. Thank you. And we will now transition to a question and answer segment. You can ask a question by pressing star 1 to unmute. Please give us your first name and your first letter of your last name as well. Who has a question? Hey, this is Andrea S. Andrea S. in New Jersey. Andrea S. Okay, one more. Mary Lee R. in Oregon. Mary Lee R. Who else? Star one to unmute. Sally A. Sally A. All right, let's get started with Andrea S. I'm sorry, does somebody else pop up? Brittany L. Brittany L. Allison E. Allison E. Okay, that's a great group. Andrea S., go right ahead. 
Hey, thanks, Leah. And thanks, too. Just really, really wonderful sharing today. You've, uh, you hit on something that I was talking to a sponsee about this morning, and it, miraculously, God, there you, there you go. Here you are talking about it in depth. Um, my question is about uh, gratitude. Gratitude for the relapses that they're teaching, that they're, that they're, you know, I hear you say that they're a reminder that, that you must continue your program. But, uh, you know, every once in a while I get the thought of gratitude for this and for being an addict. But given your experience, I wanted to ask you to say something about gratitude that's going to be more than what I've ever has occurred to me. Thanks. Well, um, gratitude. Wow. Um, I, I feel like I'm always grateful um, for um, what God's given me. Uh, but for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a matter of gratitude uh, that was the issue. For me, it was a matter of taking things for granted, you know, um, and, and that's, that's the difference between gratitude and taking things for granted because um, once we got something, you know, like uh, you know, I do an assignment or I get an award for something, it's like I feel like I've arrived. I feel like I've got this, you know. Um, uh, you know, if I, if I go to college and I get my bachelor's degree and, and you know, and I get that degree, I think that's it. Um, I'm done. And then I, I forget that, you know, the, the bachelor's degree is to go and get a job and continue on that road of education, right? Like, like to apply what I have already learned. It's not just get, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the award and then, or the, or the diploma and then, and then not do anything about it. And I think that for me is the difference. I, I could be grateful that I got the diploma, right? But am I taking it for granted? You know, am I going to apply that diploma into my life and into my circumstances and continue on that road. And I, and I just want to distinguish the two because sometimes, you know, you say, well, if I'm grateful, then, then I'm getting this. No, uh, that's not always the case. You know, that wasn't the case for me. I was very grateful, grateful to God to bring me out of my disease, grateful to God for program, grateful to God for my sponsor, grateful to God for my fellowship, grateful to God for many things, but yet I rested on my laurels. How could that happen? You know, and it's because I take it, took things for granted. I hope that answers your question. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrea S. Mary Lee R., you're up. Good morning. This is Mary Lee R. in Oregon, recovered just for today. Wow, thank you, Do for the more shall be revealed in the layers of our program. And, you know, I've I've heard you since the beginning, well, 2012, when I first got on this. And, and there is more, like, you know, being able to compound your medicines and, 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 and having the diligence and not letting up. So could you share with us what your daily routine looks like from when you start in the morning until you go to bed. Thank you. 
Oh, that's an easy one. <laughs> so uh, my daily routine. Well, I start off uh, on my knees, uh, praying to God. Um, and, and I do that with a devotional group that I, that I um, started um, when I first started uh, in program. Um, I didn't know how to pray to God. I didn't know how to connect to God. And one of my sponsors at the time in, uh, I think it was 2009, 2010, had suggested that I get together with another compulsive eater that had similar faith walk and start to pray with that person. And so I did. I, I got someone and I said, can you teach me how to pray? And she says, you know, all you have to do is talk to God. But if you don't know how to talk to God, I'll, I'll kind of like, you know, help you out with that. And then she introduced me to um, a small devotional in the morning where I would um, use some scriptures and and kind of like this passage where I would I would um, connect with God directly. And so I got so excited about that that I decided to invite others on the line uh, that were compulsive eaters that were struggling with getting connected to a higher power. And and so we started this group and it's been going on for eight years. Um, and, and today, every morning I get up at five 30 in the morning and for a half an hour, we do our devotional, which is pray, meditate and pray for others. And then right after that, uh, I sponsor, uh, you know, from six to seven. And then from there I go to the meeting, a vision for you. Um, if not other live meetings and, um, and then I get on with my day and I connect with my higher power throughout the day. Um, I do other spiritual activities such as sponsoring other people. I go to meetings. I also go to church and connect on a deeper level with, with my higher power. Um, and so by the end of the day, you know, I'm reviewing my day and reviewing, you know, do I owe anybody an apology? Do I, did, did I do something that wasn't like, um, befitting, you know, um, uh, personality or something that I need to work on. And, and also I, uh, throughout the day, some kind of way I'm going to connect with my sponsor and do my 10, 11 and 12. Um, if I don't do that because I don't talk to her for two or three days on that third day, I will be doing that with her. You know, I will be reviewing everything that I've done for those last three days. And so that's what my daily day looks like on a daily basis. Thank you, Drew. Thank you, Mary Lee R. Sally A, star one to unmute. Hi, good morning. This is Sally A, from New Jersey. Thank you so much for I, I only have 37 days of abstinence right now, so I am drinking this program like it's Kool-Aid. <laughs> no pun intended. But um, I I do have a question for you. I also was a, a chronic relapser for years, and um, sometimes I think it was a blessing because it made me see how powerless I really was. And um, I wanted to know, first of all, I just want to share this with everyone. I am very terrified because I'm, in a couple of weeks I'm going on a vacation to Europe with my mom, and um, I'm terrified because all I'm thinking about are the bagels. You know what I mean? Like I'm not 
thinking about how wonderful the trip will be. You know, I really need to press more into this program um, and not focus so much on the food. But um, but I am abstinent and I am willing, you know, to go to any length. Um, I I want to ask you, since you've had such great recovery um, experiences after you've relapsed, when they say that the disease gets stronger, I don't know what that means. Like, um, like if I'm praying, meditating, doing the spiritual work, why is it that the disease is doing push-ups? Like, why is it the disease is stronger as I'm getting stronger? That concept I don't understand if you can explain. Thank you so much. There's a lot of background noise, so if you want to mute, that I can answer that for you. Thank you. So um, that's that's a good question. Um, yeah, you're in early recovery, so the disease is definitely coming from all different directions. If you imagine a house, um, and and I I was going to say this in my talk, but I didn't have the time uh, to include this in the talk. But when when I, I think of each person in recovery like a house, and in a house when you're first in disease. Your house is falling apart. I mean, the electrical wires off kilter, um, the floorboards are broken, the plumbing's broken, uh, the ceiling's coming down on you, the windows are, are are dirty. I mean, there's so much debris and garbage in your house. Uh, all the things are cluttering you, and it it just seems like you can't seem to, to make heads or tails of where you're at in your recovery. You know, and so that's why we have others to help us, right? Like, like we're not supposed to do this alone. We're supposed to invite others into our house to help us to clean that mess, right? Or to at least direct us on how to clean the mess. Because, you know, I, I remember I, I had clutters here and I had to have somebody come and say, hey, you know, can you direct me? Because I want to hold on to everything. I want to hold on to things that I haven't used in years. And so that person had to come and, and, and direct me. I had to be open to follow directions. So, you know, you're, you're talking about you're going on vacation, you're going to do these things. Um, are you checking with your sponsor? Are you checking in to see, you know, what it is that you need to do to remain abstinent on that trip? You know, uh, that should be number one. And if you if you feel you can't stay abstinent, on that trip, don't go on the trip. Not until you recover. Uh, there's going to be many, many trips in your life, right? So, like, like if you feel that you're going to jeopardize your recovery, uh, don't go on it. You know. Um, but if you feel that you you need to because you have to, you've already played paid the ticket, you've already done all the accommodations, um, then I suggest you come up with a plan to to stay abstinent on that trip you know and and that's that's being diligent and 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 chasing after your recovery um the way you chased after your disease and and i always think about that i always think about you know if even now i have to do that i can't take things for granted right just because i've done it before does not mean i rest on my laurels i have to be just as diligent as I was in day one. 
Why did I remain uh, sober for 12 years versus breaking my abstinence every like close to two years in, in OA? Because I was more diligent about my alcoholism than I have been about my food. And I had to come to that realization of that, you know, that I need to be just as diligent every single day, every single day about my program and chase after it, chase after recovery the way I did with my disease, you know. And if, if I do that, then I'll be on the right track. I'm with that I pass. Thank you, Sally A. Brittany L., your opportunity to ask a question, star one, unmute. Thank you, thank you. Um, I just want to say before we get started that I appreciate everything um, everyone has said, and um, I really enjoyed the speaker this morning, so thank you. Um, I, too, am a newcomer. I just started this journey about three weeks ago with my first little interaction with OA. Um, I felt like I was at rock bottom with my eating. My weight had been the highest it's ever been. And um, I just was looking for something, some a strategy. And I found that it's not just a strategy, but a lifestyle, um, a way of living. Um, and I just want to know about the food. My question is about the food. So I heard you talk about... Um, so I've started identifying um, my trigger foods, my binge foods, um, things that tip me off. Um, but I wanted to know, and sugar and, and refined flour are included in those. But I noticed that you mentioned the mayonnaise and the breading on the fish and things like that. So I'd like to know how you came to that conclusion to um, include those. Because, like, if you give me, you know, a chicken salad with mayonnaise in it, I won't really binge on that, but if you give me a, a brownie that has sugar and refined flour, then I'll go crazy. So I just kind of wanted to come to the conclusion of, or wanted to know how you came to the conclusion to include those foods and um, what can we all be doing to, again, continue with our plan and, and keep abstinent. That's an excellent step one question. <laughs> And um, that that would be, um, you know, um, a question that I could answer off the line. Uh, but for now, uh, since you did ask the question, I want to give you at least some sort of answer. Um, do you have a pen and paper with you or something to write? I want to give you two recordings from a Vision for You special uh, yes. edition. Yes, I can. Okay. I can get that. So I, I want you to go <clears throat> and look up this talk, Doctor's Opinion by Ruth M. Uh, on November 22nd, 2012. Okay. Okay. And then also um, March 30th, 2014, which would be my talk to L. I'm sorry? I, I was clarifying the dates. I just got the pin. November 22nd, 2012, and March 30th, 2014. Okay. And I did that talk, do L, and um, and that's to help you to identify your binge foods, um, and how to remain entirely abstinent. So those two talks um, talk about that, how to identify binge foods and food behaviors, and how to um, 
you know, stay abstinent entirely. And if you you like, uh, at the end of the meeting, you know, if you'd like to take my number, I could discuss that more, more so with you. Because that's a a huge topic. (laughs) Okay. Well, again, I told you I need to be here. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Appreciate your question. All right. We can take another group. Anyone else have questions for Do L? You can pose a question by pressing star 1 to unmute and answer yourself, including the first name. Sarah H., is that correct? Yes. All right. Who else? Am I hearing Blanca? Marcia H. I got you, Pete. I think that was Martha. Okay. Terry M. Terry M. Anyone else? Great opportunity to ask questions. Melissa C. Melissa C. Maura Z. Maura Z. Anyone else? Star one to unmute. Okay. Let's get started with Sarah H., then we'll go to Martha S. Thank you. Hi. Thanks, Stu. Um, I was just wondering if you could speak into, like, how you determine, like, the thoroughness versus disease, like, perfectionism. Um and especially with like behaviors, foods, like I know you mentioned with the medication and um, yeah, if you could just speak into the difference between that and especially since um, like did the steps work for you since you were recovered and then relapsed like yeah, just knowing when you were actually recovered versus, like, had you, was it really, yeah, was it really recovery, I guess. I don't know if that makes sense. Okay, so I guess your question is, you know, what what are the checkpoints to know that you're recovered and to how do you maintain the thoroughness of each of the steps? Is that correct? Yeah, how do you... um know the checkpoints and then but then the other one was on just like the thoroughness versus like perfectionism being what's taken over I guess like to make it black and white versus like is it perfectionism when being thorough especially with like yeah like foods and behaviors or like even just with your inventory at night and stuff like that and the steps so I, I can't speak on perfectionism because um, that's one character defect that I, I, I probably don't have um, due to the fact that I don't think that I get things perfect. But I, I get it. Sometimes, you know, we want to do things right and get it right and, and, and whatnot. Um, so just to answer your question, because it, it all leads back to the, the step one, right? Um, and 
And when I came into program, I, I had to get the steps. And for, you, you know, just talking about step one, it's going to look different for everybody, right? Like, like um, and the best way I can answer this is when you're at step one, the individual person is going to know. Uh, I can't, I, you know, I could tell somebody else, I could tell my sponsor, I could tell a traveler, uh, you know, a fellow traveler, you know, um, what I'm allergic to. But I know, I personally, me, myself, and I know exactly how I react to certain foods once they go into my mouth. And only I know that. So the program caused me to be honest, right? Rigorously honest. Because my sponsor is not going to know that. Uh, she can kind of like determine that, you know, by, by what I say, because I'm going to tell on myself, right? Uh, uh, it's also going to show on my body, you know, whether I'm abstinent or not. Uh, because when I start gaining those weight and, you know, I, I can't fit in my clothes, people know, you know, um, I don't have to tell them. Um, but it is for me to determine that, you know, um, when that food goes into my mouth, how am I reacting? Is it, is it, I can't put the food down once I put it in my mouth and I can't seem to stop once, once I keep going. Um, so I need to be honest you know, of what goes into my body. And I need to share that with someone else and, and let them know where I'm at and then make a commitment not to pick up those foods, right? But the greater problem is the mental obsession, the, the thoughts and the feelings and all of that things that lead you back to the food. So we need to work the next 11 steps in order to address that. The checkpoints are, you know, if I'm doing step one thoroughly, the food, my binge foods should be down and I should not be causing an allergic reaction of wanting more and more of those foods. That's how I know that I put down my foods because I am not compulsively eating anymore. So I've taken step one. Step two is about coming to a conception of a power greater than yourself. So how do I know? whether I got a conception of my own. Well, I have to lay aside the prejudice. And the checkpoint is, am I getting the results of the higher power? Because it says, once you're willing to do this, you commence to get results, right? So if I'm not getting the results, I have not taken step two, you know? So I need to get some results. And that is to get a conception of my understanding as very limited as it might be at first, I need to get that. And then step three is about two requirements. It's about I'm making the commitment to stop trying to orchestrate my life and quit playing God. So those are the two requirements for step two. And then making a verbal commitment that I'm going to let God run the show. So if I've done that, I've checked off step three. Step four, talk about perfectionism. That's where you put all that down, right? And step four, you start clearing the clutter to get connected to this higher power. And so you're going to put down all your character defects. You're going to put down all the things that, uh, um, you know, because I know in step four, I, I love to, you know, get into what everybody else did, but I don't like taking responsibility for what I've done. 
So uh, the step four inventory is about taking responsibility for what you've done to others and looking at that and, and, and looking at where your character defects manifest. And uh, step five is about talking to someone about all your story and, 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 and divulging all the stuff that you wouldn't let anybody in your entire life let them know. And you have to do it with someone, um, you know, because uh, God already knows. But you know what? We need uh, what I like to call a bullshit detector. And that's my sponsor, a bullshit detector, because she's been through it. She knows, you know, what my mind looks like disease wise. And she's going to check me at, at the gate. Right. So if I've done that, I've done my step five. Step six is am I willing to give all my character defects to God or am I holding on to some of those character defects? Right. Like so. So it's saying if I'm still holding on to, let's say I like to uh, gossip about people. So, you know, if I'm, I'm not willing to give that up, then it says I should pray to let go of that character defect to, to give it up to God. Right. So if I'm a perfectionist, that's where I let it go. You know, and I say, God, you know, I don't got this. Uh, I I want to constantly be, you know, exacting and, and just doing things right. and and just like, you know, wanting to get everything perfect. And at that point, you just surrender to God and you say, I, I don't have this. God, I'm going to give it to you. And then step seven is about making another verbal commitment that you don't got this, that you're going to let God shape the good and bad in you, mold you into the person that you ought to be, and make that verbal commitment to let God run the show, right? So twice, is telling you let God run the show and then step eight is about making a list that you've already done in step four so all you're going to do is consolidate it into one master list on step eight become willing if you're not willing to make amends this is the time to become willing right in step eight pray to God to help you to be willing to make the amends then you go and clean up your mess in step nine right you go and make restitutions, you go and make the amends, you do them directly with people wherever possible, and then you're at step 10. And step 10 is about doing the one through nine all over again. Every day I get up, I'm powerless over people, places, and things. I need to connect with my higher power. I'm verbally talking to my higher power. I'm checking my character defects. I'm talking to my sponsor on a daily basis. I'm, I'm, I'm doing, uh, you know, I'm checking my character defects at the door and with God, right? Uh, I'm making my verbal commitment to recommit to God every day, every single moment, right? Uh, as, as I'm making decisions, I'm making sure that, you know, if I hurt someone throughout the day, that I'm making amends, um, looking at, at those steps and step 10. And step 11 is to continue to grow. So for me, I go to church because it's not just enough to be doing big book here, right? So that for me personally, that's what I do to expand my spiritual growth with God. I, I get with other fellows that believe the way I do and I continue my faith walk with God. But it's also about transmitting this to others and carrying the message to other people that are you know, not 
not getting it, you know, and, and, and that's what you need to do. And you need to continually do that, continually do that. And if you're at step one, stay at step one. Get step one before you go on to step 10. If you're at step one, you cannot be doing, uh, uh, you know, a step 10, 11, and 12. Get step one. Concentrate on where you're at. You know, my sponsor, she, she forced that up upon me. She says, you know what? Just stay in step one because if you go to step two, you're going to trip up. If you go to step nine, you're going to trip up. Stay at the step you're at. Get it thoroughly. Work at it hard. And when you get it and you get that checkpoint, you move on to the next step. And you keep doing that until you get to the place that you need to be. And God will carry you because as you do each step, part of the self starts to die off. And more of the self starts to die off. And more of the self starts to die off. And that's how you know you're recovered because you're going to feel different. You're going to think different. You're going to act different. And you're going to be different. You're going to be a transformed person. If you do those checkpoints the way they're supposed to, and, and the way you check it is the promises. If those promises are not coming through for you, in each of the end, ending of the steps, each one has a promise. If those promises are not coming true for you, then you're not getting the steps. Then you need to go back and re-examine what you missed. You know, but if those promises are coming through, uh, through for, uh, true for you, then, then you know you've taken the step properly. And so you keep moving forward. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah, Thank you, Sarah you. H., for the question. Thanks, Du, for the broad sweep. Okay, Martha S., your turn. Star 1 to unmute. Thank you for your service. Thank you, Du. Uh, you are just radiant in New Jersey at the Vision for You conference, so it's lovely to hear you today. This is Martha S., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in upstate New York. My question was sort of about sponsoring um, when someone – I hope that's my alarms or something. I'll just ignore that. Sorry. When you when you get to, when you help someone go through the instructions and they get to step twelve and um, um, uh, how do you help them uh, rely on their higher power rather than on on you? I know it's a process all the way through the steps, but um, but also do you have like a God squad in addition to your morning? prayer and meditation that, that you go to for like 10 steps. Um, I'm just a little cautious about having my sponsors rely on me um, a lot because, uh, you know, I'm human. Um, I, I encourage them to have a God squad. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience with that? Thank you. Well, um, you know, it's, it's very clear, very easy. Um, if uh, a sponsee is relying too much on you, I always direct them back to their higher power. Uh, they should, as they're going through the steps, especially on steps two and three, they should be acquiring their own higher power. Um, I should be directing them through the steps and through the chapters on how to obtain their own higher power and how to enhance that relationship and so 
um, you know, I, I know that I'm constantly being reminded of, you know, go to your higher power, pray to your higher power. Um, uh, are you doing that? You know, asking them questions, uh, seeing where they're at in their recovery. And if they're not getting it, you know, just, just um, kind of like going back through those chapters and reiterating that over and over. And, and like a broken record, you just need to, to go back, back to that because if they're not connecting with their higher power, then, you know, they're not actually doing the step, right? So um, it's it's about just being consistent and being thorough and just giving directions there in the book. Thank you. Thanks, Martha S. Pete B, your turn. Star one, none mute. There I go. Can you hear me now? I do. I hear you well. Thank you, Leia. Thank you, Do. Uh, my name is Pete B. I'm a compulsive overeater recovered today by God's grace and mercy. I'm in Pennsylvania. And I, I guess my, my, so I have two questions. I usually have two questions. And the first one is, um, I was intrigued by your, your, your talk about the relapses and your, and then there's just a recent comment on the promises. Uh, but I guess my question is, when those when those relapses occurs when you actually when you accidentally took the medicine and, and the wafer, did you immediately return to compulsively overeating and uh, and I guess drinking? Uh, that that's the first question. And then the second question is I guess I guess upon re uh, re entering the twelve step program and re going through the steps after these relapses, did you did your did your did that process uncover something that you didn't already address in previously working the steps that you could say caused you to return to compulsively overeating? All right. So uh, I'm sorry. What was the first question again? <laughs> Pete? I'm sorry, Hello? did you ask a question? Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I, I, I was asking, what was the first question again? When when you had accidentally ingested the wafer and then some medicine with narcotic in it, did you, immediate, did you return to compulsively overeating oh, okay. immediately? Uh, right. So, and so, drinking? Uh, the, the wafer, I, I did not do accidentally. I, I was in full force, willfully taking the wafer. <laughs> Um, no, I did not think by the grace of God, I did not. Um, it was, um, I, I immediately, as soon as I took the wafer and put it in my mouth and chewed on it, I, I knew I was in relapse. Um, I, um, uh, I didn't talk to my sponsor that week and that's why it took two days for me to, um, to actually, um, you know, get, get it back into step one. And so, um, no, I, I did not go back. Um, but you know, if I did not address that and, and realize that I had a step one issue again, I, I would have definitely gone back into the food. Same thing with the medication, the medication, um, that one, uh, you know, again, I took it for granted, not reading the labels and, and I wasn't really thinking about, you know, um, 
you know, that I was taking something that, that was going to hurt me or that I was taking a, a binge food medicine. Um, I, I, I don't know, even though my sponsor did warn me several times and several years of conversation about medication and, you know, the pitfalls of that. Um, I don't know. I just didn't think about it. I, I just, um, nonchalantly took it and, uh, and when she addressed it with me, I, you know, I realized I had made uh, a mistake and, um, you know, and, you know, of course, the disease is going to push back and it's going to say, no, you know, you're right and she's wrong and, and, you know, and forget this and, you know, all those emotions that go on with relapse. Uh, but it didn't take me long to uh, get back. Um, I, I mean, I. I immediately, as soon as she told me about it, I, I corrected the behavior and I got back into the steps and I looked at, you know, what I thought I was looking at was to correct the behavior. And, um, you know, and I missed a point. I missed a point because the, the character defect that I was taking for, uh, taking for granted was taking things for granted. That was my character defect that I was not looking at. And, um, you know, and and even though I heard it from my sponsor over and over, it was like I was not hearing it and, um, you know, or I was oblivious to it. And, you know, it wasn't until the disease brought me to such a pain of relapse that I I finally, you know, woke something woke up in me. And and I guess, like I said, the desperation of drowning men, because that's how I felt. I felt like, when am I going to get this? Is it going to be every two years to have a relapse? Is this going to go on for the rest of my life? Uh, you know, and, and when I do that, I take away from, you know, my sponsor. I take away from others. I take away from my sponsees that I've been sponsoring. So I hurt a lot of people in the process of my relapse. And that's what that that was pain the greater pain for me was knowing that in my relapse people and I didn't want to do that anymore and I I didn't know how how to get it together and it wasn't until I opened myself up to God and others um, in a way that was desperate that I really got it and I said you know what makes this time different and I asked this to people when they call me, what makes this time different? And what made this time different is that, you know, I don't want to continue to hurt others. I don't. Um, I have a love for people today that I've never had before. And and that love motivates me to do better. And uh, I hope that answers your question. And there was another question that I I hope I answered too. (laughs) That was fine. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. Terry M., your turn, star one, to unmute. Yes, can you hear me? I hear you now. Yes, thank you, Leah and Drew. Uh, my question is, uh, Drew, um uh, did you say that if we're working steps 10, 11, 12 on a daily basis, those of us who have been in, in the program uh, a while, 
um, that we're reviewing the, all the steps every day, that we're going through all the steps? Am I, uh, am I making that's my, yes, that's, that is my understanding of the steps. Some people will say um, uh, doing a 10 step is going through four through nine. Uh, on a daily basis, but, you know, from my understanding of the big book, it's 1 through 12. Uh, so you're doing a 1 through 12. When you're doing 10, 11, and 12, you're doing a 1 through 12 because you have to understand if if you're not taking step one every day, knowing that you are powerless over people, places, and things, um, that is the crux of the whole program you know, is to take step one. If you don't have step one, you don't have the rest of the steps. The rest of the steps are useless if you don't have step one. If I don't know that I'm powerless and that I can't, that I attempt to control everything in my life and that I need a power greater than myself to help me to deal with that, then, you know, it's useless to do the rest of the steps. So for me, yes, I, I do have to start off with step one every day. I do have to connect to that solution every day because if I'm not doing, uh, if I don't know that I'm powerless and that I need to connect to power, again, the whole basis of the 12 steps is based on one and two, you know, and three, you know, making those commitments. So I need to understand that if I'm doing uh, a step 10, I need to start off with step one. You know, so that's my understanding. I mean, some other people may tell you differently, but but that if you go to through the uh, theme of the whole big book, it's all about surrender. It's all about connecting to higher power. You know, so I would say, yes, it's all 12 steps. Yeah, the 10, 11, 12 steps. Uh-huh. Do, doing a, a review every day of the 10, 11, and 12 steps. Yes. So for me, okay. ten would be consisting one through ten, and then and then eleven and twelve. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Terry M. Melissa C. Your turn. Hi. Thank. Oh gosh. Thank you so much, too. That was really uh, very clear. And um, you know, my my question really is, I was kind of picturing you um, in that hospital in the rehab you know, repeating over and over your needs um, and and that you were really taking step one over and over. Um, and from all of that, did um, did any of the healthcare providers, um, you know, possibly pick up, maybe you were doing the 12th step, you know, did they, um, like my question is, did anybody reach out to you for, for more information? You know, were you carrying... Um, the message and was it received in that, or were you just sort of meeting with people who were tired of you repeating yourself? Um, thank you. Well, um, I think uh, when I spoke to the administration in the hospital and I spoke to the administration in the rehab, they were very um, grateful that I did bring it to their attention because they were not aware of people that had um compulsive eating. And so, you know, it was very helpful. As a matter of fact, they said they would implement that going forward for other people that had um, such allergies. And so I was grateful that I could uh, contribute a little part. I am not one who is shy about telling people I'm in program. 
you know, I am very vocal and very open, very transparent when it comes to living this way of life without a past. Thank you, Melissa C. Our final question for this morning comes from Maura Z. Maura Z, star one to unmute. Thank you, Leia. Maura Z here. Can you hear me? I do. Thank you. Thanks so much for your service, Leia. And do thank you for a, a very eye-opening um, presentation. Um, it never would have occurred to me that um, it would be, I mean, of course, in hindsight, saying this out loud, of course, it sounds ludicrous, but it never would have occurred to me that if I'm laid up in bed and I'm not doing my daily activity that I used to do, that I would need to address my food plan and that not doing so would be considered relapse. So very eye-opening, and thank you very much for that. My question is, do you find, have, have you come across any um, substantial, significant differences when working with a newcomer vice a relapser, a chronic relapser? Because I have found definite differences and I've had to change my methodology, if you will, um, for transmitting my message. And I'm just wondering if you have had the same and what have you found to be most most successful, more so with the relapser, the chronic relapser than the newcomer. And thanks so very much again for your share. That's a great question. As a matter of fact, I, I was just recently asking my sponsor, you know, are, are there, you know, do I need to improve on the way I communicate with newcomers uh, about the disease? And, and she asked me this one question. She says, you know, um, when you've been sponsoring, um, you know, what has been your experience uh, with the newcomers? And, and my answer, I, I answer my own question, right? So when, when she asked me that, so then I'm if you're ready uh, to receive the message of recovery, um, you know, uh, Mickey Mouse can sponsor you, right? So, but if you're not ready, not even a master teacher like Jesus Christ can, can sponsor you, you know? So, um, you know, it's all about, are they ready to take step one? My experience is whether you're a relapser or whether you're a newcomer uh, is the same because, you know, it depends on the person if they're ready. If they're not, uh, you know, feed the horse to the water, but I can't make him drink. You know, a person convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. I will not be able to change their mind. You know, as a matter of fact, uh, I will know if they're ready, right? Because they will call me back. They're eagerly um, seeking the recovery, uh, following the directions that I'm giving them, uh, you know, or, you know, from the big book and, and doing the work that they need to do in order to, to uh, attain, you know, uh, the recovery. Uh, but if they don't call me back or, you know, or start making excuses or, you know, um, have, have a, a lot of opinions about how, how they want to be sponsored, then I know they're not ready, you know. So I, I do what the big book tells me on page 98, leave them alone, you know, um, let them go. 
suffer a little more. Maybe they'll get it then, you know. So it, it's, uh, it's, it, I, I learned that it wasn't my technique because if I follow what the big book is telling me, it's not about technique. It's about whether the person wants to or not. And, and I, I hope that answers your question. It does. Thank, Thank you very much. Thanks, Maura. Thanks to everybody who posed questions this morning. And, of course, thank you, Du, for honestly sharing your experience, your personal insights, and the big book teachings this morning. So thank you very much for this important talk. The share ID for this morning's presentation, 11,780. That's 11780 for this morning's presentation. We're going to close from page 164. It's from a chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.